Arsenal for Democracy is freely available weekly at arsenalfordemocracy.com or Apple and Stitcher. And we're supported by some listeners at patreon.com slash arsenalfordemocracy for $3 a month. The show is recorded and produced by me, Bill Humphrey, in Newton, Massachusetts. Our theme music is produced by Stuntbird. Follow us on Facebook or at AFD Radio on Twitter. The show is not affiliated with any campaign committee, and each participant's opinions are their own. This man is your man. This man is my land. California. The New York Island. The Redwood Forest. The Gulf Stream Waters. This man was made you and me. You're listening to Arsenal for Democracy, episode 460, recorded on Monday, February 20th, 2023. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. Joining me on the line from Idaho is Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Bill. Prior to the invention of the electric car ignition, starting a car was a grueling and often dangerous physical process. A driver had to hand crank the engine to get it started. The engine could kick back, breaking a finger or arm with the crank. The force of the kickback could be severe enough to maim or even kill. Today, we're outlining the history of the electric car ignition, which, to be clear, is electric ignition, not ignition for electric cars. Uh, That doesn't make sense. Uh, And that history of the uh, electric starter and ignition uh, changed that risk and changed the way that automobiles worked and could be used. Uh, and we're also going to talk about more recent ignition technologies. So, Rachel, can you tell us about uh, sort of the grim origins of the efforts to innovate this particular piece of technology within the automotive industry? Yeah, our story starts in 1908 when Byron Carter, who is the founder of the Jackson Automobile and Carter Car Companies, died of pneumonia as a result of injuries sustained while trying to hand crank start his car on the Belle Isle Bridge near Detroit. Um, After this accident, Henry M. Leland, the head of Cadillac, sought to invent an electric self-starting ignition device. Uh, When Leland and his team of engineers weren't able to develop a device that was small enough to be practical, he reached out to Charles Kettering, who was known for his automotive inventions. Kettering, along with his team at Delco, uh, Delco stands for Dayton Engineering Laboratories Company, um, had a practical model ready by February 1911, so just three short years later. So Kettering's ignition performed the three functions that ignitions still perform in modern, uh, I guess, uh, internal combustion engine cars anyway. This doesn't apply to electric cars. So one, it starts the engine or like turns it over. Two, it produces a spark for ignition of the fuel. And three, it's a source of electric current for lighting and other electronic components. So after Kettering uh, brought his prototype to Leland, Leland ordered 12,000 ignitions for his 1912 Cadillac models, and Delco transitioned from a research and development company to a production company. And soon after, Kettering's electric starter replaced the crank start and opened up automobile ownership to people who didn't have the strength to start up the previous models, such as women, and it just made automobile ownership much more attractive to consumers as a whole. Now, as a side note on Charles Kettering, he was pretty infamous for some of his other inventions. He also invented or helped invent both leaded gasoline and ozone-depleting Freon, so creating two of the major atmospheric pollutant crises of the 20th century, 
that uh, really hurt a, a ton of people, an incalculable number of people around the world. And when Kettering was developing leaded gasoline, he hired a medical expert to proclaim that it was safe for humans, which was simply not true. In 1945, uh, he helped to found what would become known as the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, a research center that applies the principles of industrial research to cancer research. But his legacy is one of causing cancer as well as treating it. Kettering Health is also a big network of Dayton and Cincinnati area healthcare providers named for Charles Kettering, and the Dayton suburb of Kettering is also named for him, and it is where he lived. Of course, as Rachel said, Delco was the Dayton Engineering Laboratories company. Another source we looked at for this episode was a recent AAA member magazine article from the fall-winter 2022 issue on electric car starter and ignition and car key technology, one point they emphasize about the now traditional or old school electric key ignition is that the keys controlled the flow of electricity in the vehicle. No key, no start. Obviously, car thieves and people who lost their keys found workarounds in later, more advanced vehicles, but the starting and ignition process is much more abstracted today, as we'll discuss, than it was at the beginning of this development process. In fact, today, of course, some people start their cars with a smartphone app, and of course, many vehicles no longer use fuel at all, so they don't, uh, they do start, but they don't ignite. Um, Rachel, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the refinements and innovations to uh, car starters over the years? Yeah, so my source for this is a Car and Driver article about the evolution of car keys and how it's more interesting than you think, and it it covers a lot of the material that the AAA article covers, but includes a lot more detail. Um, so although the main features of Kettering's invention have remained largely unchanged, at least the under the hood parts, the way drivers start their cars has undergone some major innovations over the past century, starting with how drivers use keys to start their cars. Um, in the first decades after the self-starting ignition became the standard, keys were used mainly to turn on and off that electric current that Bill referred to. Uh, the driver also had to push a starter button to start the engine once the electric ignition was turned on. It wasn't until the 1949 Chrysler models that keys could start the car, that could start the car with a turn of the ignition were introduced. And uh, this is how popular mechanics described, described it. Quote, Among the innovations of primary interest to the driver is the combination ignition and starter switch, which eliminates the starter button. The car starts by turning the, the ignition key slightly beyond the ignition on position. When released, the key automatically returns to ignition on. Aside from the convenience to the driver, this starter makes it impossible for children to move a car which has been left in gear by pushing the starter button. So at this time, it was a, a manual uh, gear transmission. And so you could leave your car parked in gear and just have like an e-brake. Um, and so it was always kind of in that ready position so a child could come in and push the starter button and cause a severe accident. So this was really um, framed as a safety mechanism to have this combination ignition starter um, key that uh, could prevent people from, from starting it when, when you didn't want them to. Um, so that was a pretty big innovation. It's still kind of a, a feature in a lot of cars if you're not using like a remote uh, start or a push button start, that still basically is how you start a lot of cars uh, today. Um, in 1965, Ford came out with a double-sided key. Um, this has cuts on both sides of the key, so you can insert your key in either orientation to start your car. Um, in the 1960s, the dual key, 
which could both open doors and start the car, started to appear. Uh, prior to this, cars came with both a door slash glove compartment key. Um, and I have to make a note here. In Idaho and Montana, the glove com- car- compartment is also known as a jockey box. Gross. Which is, not re- <laughs> which is not really widely known, but it is very local slang. Um, so cars came with both this door key and an ignition key. Um, and something to note, door keys and ignition keys kind of showed up at around the same time. Uh, the first fully enclosed car was a 1910 Cadillac, but they didn't really take off until around 1913. So prior to that, car cabins were fully exposed to the elements or at a soft convertible top. So you, there wasn't really a good way to secure your car, um, and a door key would have been pretty irrelevant up until that point. Um, another big... Uh, uh, feature that that came over the years is the 1986 Chevrolet Corvette was the first to add anti-theft features to the key. Um, they added a coated resistor to the key that was needed to start the car. And by the 90s, most GM cars had this vehicle anti-theft system. So the if, if the electrical resistance of the resi- resistor was wrong or the key was a normal key without a resistor, the circuit of the car's electrical system just would not allow the engine to get started. Um, this is a different system than having a transponder key where your che- your key actually transponds a code to the car computer and then the computer sends a message back, which allows you to start the car. So this so is are... much more of just a electrical mechanical solution. Yep, exactly. Um, and apparently if you looked at the key, you could kind of see the resistor um, kind of embedded in this along the center of the key. So you could, it was easy to see. It wasn't hidden like transponder keys or kind of that transponder is pretty hidden. You don't really know it's there. Um, so there were two very different systems. Um, the uh, remote entry key fob uh, was first introduced in the 1983 AMC Renault Alliance, um, but it wasn't widely adopted into the 90s. So it kind of had a false start of about seven years. Um, in 1990, Lexus introduced laser cut keys and the precision of the laser cuts made them harder to counterfeit. Also in 1990, uh, the switchblade key fob with the keyblade flipping out from a remote locking key fob was introduced by Mercedes-Benz, and it's now used to this day in most Volkswagens. So that's kind of the association I have with, with the switchblade key fob is uh, the Volkswagen car keys. Um, in 1993, Chevy Corvettes introduced the first proximity key, um, so you, where you had to have the key fob close to the car to be able to start it. So unlike modern proximity keys, it couldn't start the car and still required an ignition key, but it could automatically lock and unlock the doors when it detected the fob close by. Um, so that was a pretty early contender. It wasn't really widespread until a decade or so later. Um, in 2003, Mercedes-Benz offered the first fully functional proximity key in the form of its smart card, which was designed to fit in a wallet like a credit card. However, the smart card wasn't durable, so it was kind of expensive, it didn't work very well, and the next year their proximity key was integrated into a much hardier, more durable key fob. Um, in 2004, Chevy Malibu's offered the first factory direct uh, remote start function, uh, remote starts were available kind of on, on the aftermarket, um, but in 2004, Chevy Malibu uh, offered that as a, as a feature. And starting in 2018, Tesla offered an app that made driver smartphones the key using Bluetooth to mimic a proximity key. And there's also a credit card style proximity key for backup if the phone dies. 
Um, I don't know if Tesla learned anything from Mercedes-Benz's smart card or if they just kind of are using a shoddy product, which wouldn't be too surprising coming from Tesla. Um, so it's interesting. Obviously, Tesla, you don't have to ignite anything, but you do have to start the engine with that proximity key. So it's changed a lot over the years. And I, something else I found interesting was back in the 1900s, you had a starter button to start the engine. And now we're kind of back into that. We swung back into the starter button. A lot of cars have a push button starter slash ignition. So it's kind of interesting that we're playing the old hits again. You know what, Rachel? That was exactly oh. what I was about <laughs> to say. Uh, we didn't have that in the outline, but we're both on the same wavelength here. And that, of course, brings us to the final section of this episode, because, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the recent TikTok trend of stealing Hyundais and Kias in the United States. Quoting now from a September 2022 CNBC article, a dangerous challenge spreading on TikTok and other social media platforms has car owners and police departments on alert across the country challenging young teens to steal certain cars off the street using a USB cord. The target? Certain makes and models of 2010 through 2021 Kia and Hyundai vehicles that use a mechanical key, not a key fob, and push button to start the car. Investigators tell CNBC the trend started last year and the number of cars being stolen is continuing to surge across the country. The trend challenges teens to steal a car off the street, by breaking into the car, popping off the steering wheel column, and hot-wiring the vehicle using a USB cable similar to the wire used to charge a phone. The thieves post videos online of stealing and driving the cars using the hashtag KiaBoys, which has more than 33 million views on TikTok. The social media company said in a statement, it does not condone this behavior, which violates our policies and will be removed if found on our platform. Ken McLean, an attorney in Missouri, says some of the blame for the stealing spree falls on the automakers, Kia and Hyundai, claiming the companies built cars that are too easy to steal. McLean calls the issue a defect. His firm has filed class action lawsuits in 12 states so far. California, Colorado, Florida, Kansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, New York, Ohio, and Texas. He's also preparing to file in as many as seven other states. We're receiving dozens of calls a day, McLean said. The manufacturers ought to be paying for this. Kia and Hyundai weren't able to comment on how many vehicles are included in the make and model years and would potentially be at risk. A Kia spokesperson said the company is concerned about the increase in thefts and has provided steering freewheel lock devices to law enforcement officials in affected areas. While no car can be made theft-proof, criminals are seeking vehicles solely equipped with a steel key and turn-to-start ignition system. The majority of Kia vehicles in the United States are equipped with a key fob and push-button-to-start push system, making them more difficult to steal. All 2022 Kia models and trims have an immobilizer applied either at the beginning of the model year or as a running change. And that's the end of the section we're quoting from CNBC. Rachel, any final thoughts on the Kia boys and or well, the larger topic of car starters and ignitions? Well, I think uh, these anti-theft uh, features got started in the 80s. So why is Kia and Hyundai, like, I'm, I'm sure it's a cost-benefit analysis, but they're cutting corners in a way that sends their car technology back to the 80s, which is really weird to me. Um, not providing a key fob or uh, any sort of proximity key or anything like that is just 
it's really it's rookie. It's a rookie move. So it's it's interesting that Kia and Hyundai did chose to create these mechanical key ignitions that didn't require any other safety features. My understanding as well is that other countries, they all had immobilizers on the same makes and models for this time period. It was just the United States that did not have immobilizers. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, that's that's just it's puzzling to me. It's a mystery why why Kia and Hyundai did this just for the cars that were sold in the US. Like that's that's weird to me. Yep. Any final thoughts? Uh, it, it really made me look at my key. Um, I, I drive a Volkswagen Jetta, so I do have some of those features. Like I have the switchblade key. Um, I have a transponder that uh, doesn't allow any other car, any other keys to start my car. Um, I actually lost a key or thought I had lost a key. Um, it was actually in a hidden pocket in my purse for like almost a year. And I didn't realize that, but we actually, um, uh, like disengaged that key. And then I found it later and tried to use it. And it, it obviously said like the key's invalid. It, it won't start. So, um, I, it goes to show, even though that key used to be a valid key for my car, um, now it's not, and nothing changed except they turned off that signal, that, that, that transponder that talks to my car. So it's really interesting. The safety features work really well. Um, and, uh, I, I was really hoping to, um, see if there were labels on my steering column, kind of, I think you've seen before on other cars, like ignition on, you can kind of see that ignition on like setting on your car, on your steering column or like electric on or something like that. And so my steering column is unlabeled, which was kind of sad because I did kind of want to see if it showed any of those like features or how to, how to turn on your car or whatever. Um, but my car is a little too new, I think. I, I think it shows up more on like older cars. Well, I got interested in looking into this topic, not because it was some truly momentous technological breakthrough. Uh, you know, they probably would have gotten around to something along these lines eventually, but just because um, it, it was mentioned on a sign somewhere uh, in Dayton, Ohio, or in Virons when I was out there. Uh, in November last year, and it was around the same time that that uh, AAA article came out. Uh, I mean, everything is labeled Kettering around Dayton, so that was not surprising, but it did one of the signage things on at some museum or something uh, did mention specifically the uh, electric starter and ignition. So uh, I thought we'd uh, look into it, and here we are. Uh, well, Rachel, thanks for coming on this week to talk about uh, the car ignition and starter systems over the years. Yeah, it was a, a fun little topic to, to research. <laughs>